When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. A listener note, this podcast contains strong language and disturbing content. So roughly over there where that kind of big tree trunk marks the spot, he would have seen it, looked for it, known where to stop. I've come back to Much Markle, the village in the southwest of England where Fred West grew up. And that's Fingerpost Field, this is Letterbox Field. 25 years ago, in the fields outside the village, there was a grim discovery. So she was the first victim, but the last to be found. This is the place where Fred West buried his first known murder victim. Uh, I mean, the smell of a de- decomposing flesh obviously would attract animals, scavengers. So he buried them deep. It's here that Fred started on the path to becoming a serial killer. He was a farm worker, then he was a builder. And if someone saw Fred digging a hole, they wouldn't be surprised because he'd been here for 20 years digging holes. To understand how this woman came to be buried in Fingerpost Field, we need to go back a few years to another part of Fred West's story. It concerns his first marriage, because Rose was not Fred's first wife. The name of his first wife was Rena. By 1994, when Fred was arrested, no one had seen her for over 20 years. This early relationship helps us to understand how Fred West first became a killer. From something else, this is Unheard, the Fred and Rose West tapes. Episode 3, Fingerpost Field. I'm Howard Soons, author of the book Fred and Rose. In November 1962, Fred West and Rena Costello married at Lebri Register Office. Fred had recently turned 21. Rena was 18. The wedding picture shows her wearing a blue dress. Her hair was so blonde it was almost white. Fred's dark suit looks too big for him. Because, I mean, she's originally a, a Scottish lass, isn't she, you know? Christine West, Fred's sister-in-law, knew Rena. Her full name was Catherine Costello. She'd been living in Glasgow but had come down south to start a new life. Oh, well, she could have met him at the dance, because there was always, like, one in the local village here, much Markle, or she could have met him at the local youth club. The only guest at the wedding was Fred's brother John, who was the witness. Not even his parents, Walter and Daisy, were there. The news came to them as a surprise. But he didn't tell them that they were getting married. Right. <laughs> 
you know if he left home before he married Rena or after he married Rena? After. About a week after, they both went up to Scotland. The newly married couple went to live in Glasgow initially. It's there that Fred's life took a significant turn. By the time he came back to England two years later, he was a father with a complicated personal life that culminated in his first known murder. So in June 1995, I followed Fred's trail to Glasgow. In 1995, Glasgow was a very different place to the city Fred knew in the 1960s. Many of the old buildings had been torn down to make way for new flats. So I bought a map and tried to orientate myself with the city Fred and Rena must have known. I had some leads on the south side, where Fred and Rena had lived in a series of old tenement apartments. The first door I knocked on belonged to a man called Archie Jackson. He'd been a neighbour of Fred and Rena. The tape isn't very clear, so I'll paraphrase. She never gave them any trouble. What about him? Did anything, did anything like I never him? seen him. Never saw him at all. First time I seen him, he's photographed. He never saw Fred. Yeah, no, we never seen him at the house at all. Where was Fred? They'd only just got married. But there was something else I wanted to check with Archie. You didn't know anything or suspect anything about her being prostitute? Rena's name came up in the records of Glasgow police. Before she'd married Fred, she'd been warned for prostitution. She had been asked out by the police, no problem. They told you that she was, did they? Yeah, mm. yeah. And we, I, I believe she was probably doing it at this time. But... Yeah, well, that's what they say. That's what they say. Archie said he didn't know she was a prostitute. Well, we seen her getting out there enough at night. So we said it was just a young girl going out. You know, she needed time off. She had two kids. Mm-hmm. When he saw her leave at night, he thought she was just a young girl going out. Maybe I was very gullible, I don't know, but... Well, you probably wouldn't, wouldn't know. Yeah. No reason you would know. Unless uh, it become the talk of the street. I presume she kept it discreet. What was the nature of Fred's and Rena's relationship? And if Fred wasn't with Rena, where was he? there was someone on my list of contacts who might be able to help. His name was John McLaughlin. Hello, it's Mr McLaughlin. He'd been having an affair with Rena while she was living with Fred in Glasgow. When I went to meet John in his flat, it was a blazing hot summer morning. He had his shirt off and his body was covered in tattoos. There on his arm was a familiar name in scratchy blue letters, Rena. McLaughlin. John. John said he made the tattoo of Rena himself with a sewing needle. Sewing needle. Push 
Rena had already tattooed Fred's name on her arm. Yeah. Like she, I, I want this boy Fred. I, I don't want to add smoke John on. You tattooed it out? Yeah, no. So John put a line through Fred's and replaced it with his. Fred wasn't impressed. It sounded as if Fred's marriage to Rena was off to a rocky start. Well, they were young, but there was another complication. When she married Fred, Rena was six months pregnant. Her daughter Charmaine was born in March 1963. But Fred wasn't the father. Did you know um, the father of Charmaine? Rena told John that Charmaine's father was a South Asian man. Baby Charmaine was Rena's daughter, but not Fred's. The father was probably a Glasgow bus driver. Rena might have met him while working as a conductor, but I never found him. How did Fred react to the new arrival? She was with Fred when she had Charmaine. Yeah. yeah. So he, he, he took her on? Yeah. Fred stuck with Rena, even when it was clear that Charmaine wasn't his. That's unusual, isn't it? You wouldn't have thought he was with her when she had the child. I mean, he met her before she had the child. Charmaine was a dark-skinned child of mixed race. It was obvious that she wasn't Fred's. Well, it's a funny thing. It it wasn't uh, sort of discussed. When I asked Christine West how much Fred's family knew about this, the story got even more complicated. You know, it was sort of uh, swept under the carpet. Mm. As to say, <laughs> yeah. it was one of them, you know, nobody said nothing, like, sort of thing. Everybody. <laughs> right. Mm. She was pregnant when when they got married and when they no, when they went to Scotland. Mm. And then they, they wrote and said she'd lost the baby. And then they said they uh, adopted this child. But Rena didn't lose the baby and Charmaine wasn't adopted. It was to cover up the fact that Charmaine wasn't Fred's child. A year later, in 1964, Rena became pregnant again. This time, Fred was the father. They named their new baby Anna Marie. But whatever happiness there was didn't last. One night, John McLaughlin was with Rena at the tenement block. We were playing cards here. He was tenement block. They were playing cards when they saw Fred's face at the window. And it's chapter my He ordered Rena outside and started beating her. John defended her, hitting Fred. She had bruises everywhere. Fred took his beating. 
John's relationship with Rena was clearly a threat to Fred. Not long after, Fred chose to leave Glasgow. But there was another story why Fred came back to Gloucestershire. Christine West, Fred's sister-in-law, told me about it. In Glasgow, he'd been working as an ice cream man, driving a van around the street selling Mr Whippy-type ice cream. Little boy ran out into the street. What happened to the boy? He died. Really? Yeah. When did you, know, when did you find out? I didn't know that. When did you find out? Oh, well... That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. So he killed him? Mm. And what happened? Did he, was Fred arrested? No. No, because uh, the, the police said it was uh, an accident. Uh, I mean, he was only five. What did he say about that? I, I, I mean, he was upset about it. And, um, don't know what the boy was called, do you? No idea. <laughs> Was it true that Fred had run over and killed a child in Glasgow? There were so many dramatic stories in his life. I asked Glasgow police, but they couldn't confirm it. I searched through the cuttings at the Daily Record office in Glasgow for children run over in the city by ice cream vans in the 1960s. There were a few leads, but I couldn't confirm any link to Fred. John McLaughlin had another alarming story about Fred's time in Glasgow. Over here, or just about there, yeah, there was there used to be a bridge there, right? There used to be a set of plots. In his spare time, Fred kept a garden allotment. What was Fred's plot like? Oh, what did he grow in it? Fred hardly grew anything. John would say to Fred, "How the hell do you grow anything?" He raked a bit and planted a few vegetables, but it was mostly unused ground. Fred said, I'm keeping it for something else. So he's keeping it for something else? So he had a so he had an allotment. Yeah. And he had lots of room to grow vegetables. Yeah. But he didn't grow any vegetables. Yeah. Yeah. He actually got better at me. Fucking three hours getting up at fucking two o'clock in the morning. When he found out, I was like, He went there in the middle of the night at two o'clock in the morning. What was Fred doing on his allotment in the middle of the night? The allotment where he hardly grew anything. At least four young women disappeared from Glasgow at the time Fred lived in the city. We can only wonder whether Fred was connected. Later, the allotment was bulldozed when the area was redeveloped. Fred's plot was engulfed in thousands of tonnes of concrete, forming Junction 22 of the M8 motorway. Thirteen lanes of traffic now sweep back and forth, over the patch of earth that Fred was keeping for something else. Whatever happened on his allotment, now Fred West was back in Gloucestershire, close to Fingerpost Field.
would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. It's 1965. Fred West may or may not have killed a boy in Glasgow, and he may have felt threatened by John McLaughlin, his wife Rena's new lover. What we do know is that he felt he had to leave Scotland in a hurry. The next woman I called would tell me what happened after that. Hello? Hello, hello, Isa. How, how are you? Fine. Do, do you remember me? I'm Howard Soons. I'm uh, an author. I'm writing a book about the case. Do you remember uh-huh. we spoke before? Uh-huh. Isa McNeil was friends with Rena. They met in a Glasgow cafe when Isa was looking for work. Rena and Fred, with their on-off relationship, were searching for someone to look after their two young children. Isa was offered bed and board in their home if she would care for Charmaine and the baby, Anna Marie. She agreed. Soon afterwards, Isa told me that Fred moved back to Gloucestershire by himself. He made a living driving a van for an abattoir. He collected carcasses of animals from local farms. A few months pass, and then in Glasgow, Rena made Isa another offer. Would she like to move down to England with her and the children to live with Fred in a caravan? Now, the thing that I'm really confused about is that is when you all went south to, to live in the caravan, uh-huh. and you all came down on the bus. Uh-huh. So Fred got, got his... He, he got you from the got, station? Uh-huh. He picked us up at the station in the, what do you call that van? It's full of bones and cowhides and all that in it. Fred picked them up at the bus station in his abattoir lorry, which was full of bones and cowhides. It smelt bad. Like an open lorry. No, like the sides that came down. Like an open the lorry? came down, uh-huh. And it was a big blue tongue that was in, not at the back yet. And it smelt, did it? Oh, uh-huh. What, bad? Really bad. Yeah, right. But you all came together. Uh-huh. You and Anna Rina, and... And Re- Anna and the kids. And the two children. Uh-huh. Anna and Charmaine. Charmaine. Right. OK. 
There was another passenger who came south with Rena and Isa and the kids. Her name was Anna McFall. Anna McFall was 16. Isa was her childhood friend. They grew up together in the same street in Glasgow. Anna's family life was complicated. Her parents were unmarried. Her brother, Scarface McFall, was known to the police, while her boyfriend had recently been killed in an accident. But Anna had a good friend in Isa. They say that you were friends despite... Anna apparently was a Catholic and you were a Protestant. Uh-huh. Is that right? Uh-huh. And, right. And, and years gone back in Glasgow, that sometimes was a problem, wasn't it? Uh-huh. But you were friends uh-huh. anyway. Uh-huh. And you apparently both worked together at Livingston Industrial Clothing. Uh-huh. But both of them wanted to get away from Glasgow. That's when Isa introduced Anna to Fred and Rena and the plan took shape. When you and Anna and Rena came down to the caravan, uh-huh. what, what, what for? Why did you come down? Because we, when I was staying with Rena in Karen Park at the time. Right. Right? And Anne didn't go in with her brother or anything so she came down to look for work. Anna didn't get on with her brother, so she decided to come to England to find work. So why did you come down? I came down to these were three vulnerable young women. Anna McFall, just 16, was estranged from her family. Rena, in an abusive marriage with Fred and the young mother of two children. And Isa, their friend, who had her own problems. It's a poignant image. Three girls leaving Glasgow with hopes of a better life down south, only to find themselves with Fred West in his filthy abattoir van, being driven to his caravan. When you arrived in, at the caravan, there was, you were in the middle of the countryside, weren't you? There was nothing, uh-huh. nothing to do, nothing was there? No, there was nothing there. I used to just babysit for the, you know, the folk beside. There was nothing to do on the caravan site except watch the kids. What do you do all day? Just sat about in the caravan. Must have been, about, must uh-huh. have got fed up. Uh-huh. Yeah? That was, that was, as you say, there was nothing there. It was a very... Because you're miles away from any towns, uh-huh. That's right. and you're you're all uh, city city people, aren't uh-huh. you? So it must be a bit of a shock. No, was that? The plan was to find work, but you didn't find any work. We never got touches watched in the caravan site. The caravan in the country between Gloucester and Muchmarkle was claustrophobic for four adults and two children. Fred and Rena shared the main bedroom. The children slept together in a tiny room. Anna and Isa had to share the couch. Before Fred left for work every morning, he'd warn Rena not to venture off the site. While Fred was at work, these three women whiled away the hours, chatting and flicking through magazines. When Fred returned in the evening, he was still wearing his overalls and boots from the abattoir. His hands were scarlet and there was blood on his face where he'd wiped his brow and he'd beat Rena if his dinner wasn't ready. One day, the women decided they'd had enough. They wanted to get out, and they enlisted an old friend from Glasgow. John McLaughlin sent a letter to us down in the caravan, because I think it was a neighbour in the caravan, and we to be at the phone box at a certain time. 
John McLaughlin wrote to the women and told them to meet him at a phone box near the caravan site. How did John know that she wanted to go? Because we told him on the phone. He phoned us up. He was going to drive down and get them. They should be ready. To be at the phone at a certain time. A plan was hatched. With Fred's behaviour becoming increasingly violent, they'd escape when he was at work. John would drive down from Glasgow overnight, collect Rena, Anna, Isa and the two children in the morning and take them back to Scotland. They'd be home for bedtime. Fred would return from work to find they were gone. That was the plan, anyway. They went for a walk around the caravan site with the children. And we've seen the van parked Then they saw John McLaughlin's mini. Just after that, Fred came in and caught him. That's when Fred caught them. The women had packed their suitcases and were ready to flee the campsite when Fred appeared unexpectedly. He used to come back daily, you know, but not at that time. He's always had his set time for coming back, you know what I mean? Right. Fred had always come home from work at the same time, but today he was early. He seemed to have caught wind of their plot. And, and John punched him outside the caravan. There was a fight, there was a scuffle. And the neighbours came out. There was a showdown between Fred and John McLaughlin. They never, they never even get into the caravan McLaughlin. They didn't? No, it was outside. John was trying to get into the caravan to get Charmaine. But Fred wouldn't give no, Charmaine? No, he wouldn't give in a Charmaine. Right. But Fred refused to give her up. And that's what she said. If she ever came back again, he'd kill her. Fred threatened Rena. I'll kill you if you show your face again. He said that to who? Uh, said that to Rena. Well, I'll kill you if you ever show your face uh, again? Uh-huh. And that's, she had to leave. Rena had to leave Charmaine with Fred. I called John McLaughlin in Glasgow to check his side of the story. I managed to get uh, Rena and uh, Isa in the, in the car. Then it all went wrong. He got Rena and Isa in the car, but when Fred came home, the plan all went wrong. And yep. he was in there already? Yep. He was inside the caravan already? Yeah, and he was holding Crying and shaking, Rena and Isa drove off with John in the car. The children were left behind in the caravan with Fred, and so was Anna McFall. She went to come with us. You know, we wanted to bring her home as well. They wanted Anna to come with them, but she refused. Because she had told him? Yeah, probably, yeah. So it looks like she grasped you up? Yeah, yeah, quite, quite possible. And did, did Anna admit that she told him, or you just, no, you just no. worked that out? She wouldn't come. The Great Escape was only a partial success. Rena and Isa got out, but worryingly, the children were still with Fred in the caravan. Do you remember if Rena said anything to you about 
her fears about leaving the kids behind with Fred. No, she was just, it was just it all Rena wanted her children back. She didn't trust Fred with them. She didn't have much time for her, I mean. You didn't have much time for her, no. no. She was most concerned about Charmaine, whom Fred didn't like. And it was mostly Charmaine she wanted. Well, because she, she was more concerned about her. Uh-huh. Meanwhile, Anna stayed in the caravan with Fred and the two children. In Fred's exaggerated way of talking, Anna became nanny to his kids, and they became lovers. Anna sent letters back to her family in Glasgow. She had a fancy house. She was doing well, and she was getting married and all the rest of it. This is a house with a thatched roof, is that right? Anna said she was getting married to Fred, living in a nice big house. But she was living... It was all make-believe. By the spring of 1967, Anna was pregnant with Fred's child. Fred later said that Anna was the love of his life and called her his angel. But Fred was full of such fanciful nonsense. I asked Christine West, Fred's sister-in-law, did the family get to know Anna as Fred's girlfriend? He used to come out, uh, bring her out with, uh, with Anne-Marie and Charmaine. Look, she was supposed to be their nanny. All together, four of them together, used to come out to Moor Court. Fred's parents were still living at Moorcourt Cottage in Much Markle. And Rena wasn't around, was she? No, not then, no. Right. And what was she like, do you know? Well, you know, it was quite a shock when they found her. Like Anna was last seen alive in 1967. Her dismembered body was found in Fingerpost Field, Much Markle, within sight of Moorcourt Cottage, in June 1994. Her remains showed that she was seven months pregnant when she was murdered. She'd been dead for 27 years, but nobody had reported her as a missing person. And so, like so many of the girls in this story, she comes from this di- very difficult background, and maybe the little bit of affection and attention Fred showed her was um, enough to bind her to him until he killed her. He never admitted to murdering Anna. He, he just said rather cryptically, I know where she is, and I'll show you where she is, but I didn't kill her. And sure enough, he pointed out her grave over in the field, and that's where she was found.
maybe he killed her because, of course, he was there was Rena as well. So maybe she was a problem. She was pregnant, but he was married to Rena. So maybe he felt he had to get out of that situation. I mean, maybe questions were asked, but evidently no one took action in the. No one actually went to the police and said, "Where is my missing pregnant daughter?" I had one last question for Christine West. How did Fred explain that Emma was no longer there? He didn't. He didn't? didn't no. Did anyone ask? No. Nobody asked. Nobody asked? No. She just... Well, we all... Well, I mean, you sort of assumed that she'd gone back home. Right. To Scotland. Okay. I mean, nobody, you know, nobody Next time on Unheard, the Fred and Rose West tapes, Fred meets Rose. Unheard, the Fred and Rose West tapes was written and presented by Howard Soons. The producer was Paul Smith. The executive producer was Russell Finch. The mix engineer was Josh Gibbs. The title music was composed by Shani Aviram, with additional production from Steve Ackerman, Antonia Udenlami, Ben Maidley and Alice Lutchins. Unheard, the Fred and Rose West tapes is a something else production. Also from something else. How did we get here? With Claudia Winkleman and Professor Tanya Byron. In these in-depth, one-on-one therapy sessions, we dig deep into personal stories with fascinating and emotional revelations. A passionate, insightful, and moving experience with clear outcomes to each episode. He is as anxious about attachment with you as you are with him. Oh, wow. Oh, wow, that's crazy, isn't it? Oh, that's a weird feeling. Wait, so... God, don't you just feel like, whoa, why didn't I know that all along? Listen now in Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all good podcast apps. Normally being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.